This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I've been consuming a lot of iconic media recently, uh, which is to say two pieces of iconic media recently. About 90 seconds ago, Shag, I just finished watching M3 again. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, my fucking God. And you know what? You know what? I want to ask you all about it. But can I say Mm. my observation was, and Mm. considering where we were when we started this podcast, you were excited to and enjoyed watching that Mm. film. Yes, I had a thrilling time. Can I can I can I sort of pick out a couple of interesting bits for me? It's probably the first time you sort of embrace the villainy for me. So like growing up with a sort of fantasy genre, if there's a quote quote bad guy, um I used to feel unhappy in comic book films of like but we didn't kill the bad guy like the bad guy's still <laughs> running around like uh, that's so, such a weird insight into you i don't even quite like i need to properly unpack that but wow that's yeah, amazing we like we might dive into it in future weeks but but that was always really awkward for me i was like at the end of the first batman the jack Nichols one i was like great the joker's dead it's like the joker showed up joker died cool check got it <laughs> and then with the marvel films it was like the bad guy's like you're going to sort of prison bad guy or some like morally ambiguous who knows what you're up to and i was like oh bad guy still 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 being around is a bit weird and so with horror generally as a genre the point is the bad guy's still running around at the end right so the the point is i don't get my uh good guy triumph uh you, you know good good guy bad guy type dichotomy and that i think has been part of the awkwardness i felt about horror films in the past i'm like well good guys are good and bad guys are bad and so we want good stuff to happen rather than bad and so why would we celebrate a villain and shag i think with old m3 it's the first time i was like oh shit m3 kill these fucking people let's go that's the point right because uh, because we've talked before about how there needs to be a net injustice at, at the end of a horror film for it to feel like a horror film. And you've just called that out pretty simply. Like, you don't like films that end with... Well, you didn't like films that ended with a net mm. injustice. It, it had to be bad guys gone, good guys reign, and I feel like all is right with the world. Yep. I want to see Hans Gruber fall off the building kind of thing and be like, check, there was a bad guy, now there's not. Now I feel better. Whereas that idea that there being a net injustice in the world... With something like, you know, a Megan going around and slaughtering the evil boss of Capitalism Incorporated or whatever the company's called. Funky. From a safe distance can kind of be fun to be a part of. I was there. I was like, bring me more Megan. I can understand why people are like, Freddy's the best. Because I used to be like, hang on. 
Freddie kills people. He's the worst. Why are we supporting <laughs> Freddie? But now I'm really, I'm coming to understand, like, it's bloodthirst, right? Like, I was there. What did you like about Megan? That's what I want to know. What was it about Megan that you liked and wanted to see more of? I liked the whole thing. Like, I thought it was really, like, part of it was the self-awareness of the creativity. Like, there's actually cosplay of Megan within Megan. Like, someone cosplays <laughs> as them inside the film. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a, you know, fantastic <laughs> wink. Um, I feel like it was really cleverly constructed in that there was foreshadowing, but it wasn't as if you could see the seams. You know, it was just really quite a slick and neat um, construction. Um, I, look, I liked the production design. Like when, um, like Gemma's spare room that becomes the bedroom, when the child first moves into it, the niece whose name I regret to have forgotten moves into it. You're like, Oh, there's an exercise bike. There's like some old computer shit around. There's some like exposed brickwork, like a startup founder style. This is not a child's bedroom. And I, and my first reflection, I was like, that's, like production design, I feel like such an underrated skill, but I was like, you're communicating with this production design every single thing I need to know about this kid not not being welcome in this room and not feeling like a kid's room. So it's good stuff. Shaq, I've got one other bit. Like I know we're on a tight timeline mainly because I spent too long watching M3 <laughs> and doing a lot of Instagram stories about it. So if anyone wants to head to our Instagram, underscore Spooko Instagram. Um, Shag, I saw Wish on the weekend, the latest Disney film. Oh, I've heard mixed to terrible yeah. reviews. How was it? Yeah, yeah. So, so if I can start broad and then zoom in, um, my youngest golden child is now eight, right? And... That's that's not three. You know, my times of um, being like having a gaggle of golden children and going in to, for them to be excited about Disney films are sort of quickly running away, and there's a there's a sadness to that. And I was like, let us get to the new Disney film. Um, it it was not shit. The animation was incredible. It looks great. Um, Chris Chris Pine is super charismatic, but there are some like really fundamental plot holes. Let's do spoil. Like, are you happy to do spoilers if we talk about this oh, for totally. about a minute or two? Because can I say, uh, in the school mm. holidays, I have a golden child who is very much in the target market mm. for a Disney film yes. still, and I showed them a couple of trailers to be like, "What do you want to see?" One of which was Wish, and we watched the trailer together, and mm. it involves like. A prince who keeps wish everyone gets a wish, but he keeps people's wishes and doles them mm. out, and that's bad because everybody should be able to have their wish. And yep. we watched that, and then we watched the trailer for a film about a bunch of ducks that go on a migration. Migration, yeah. And afterwards, I'm like, "What do you want to see?" And yeah, t- tell me more about those ducks. <laughs> they had no fucking idea what was going on with wish, so I'm curious to hear the spoilers because it was for. The age gra- gra- like group and myself, it seemed convoluted mm. and a little bit pointless. I can sort of barely explain it to you <laughs> now, right? <laughs> so um, we have our evil magician who who begins sort of not evil, but a sort of totalitarian, benevolent dictator sort of energy. Uh, and what um, he does is saying, look, in exchange for safe harbour in my lovely um, place of Rosas, what you surrender on your 18th birthday to me is your wish, and you'll never miss it. You'll never think about what it is. You'll never know what it was, 
right? And then I'll keep it in these little circles and that'll kind of be related to my power. It'll, it'll sort of empower me to be a powerful sorcerer and to continue to protect you and, and build a nice city and, and that's sort of the payment. That's kind of the exchange we're making here. So other wishes um, make him more powerful. Yeah, but it, it, it doesn't seem to because later in the film he sort of crushes a wish to get the power from it. So he just sort of enjoys having. It's like Scrooge McDuck. Now that I think about it, in the big vault, it's not like he likes spending the wishes. He just likes to have them there. He's just like swimming around yeah. in his wishes, being like, "Here they are." And look, as the movie progresses, it doesn't get particularly clear, but. Eventually, he's threatened and he's like, well, now I'm going to turn super evil and I'm going to have to crush some of these wishes. And here's where the film really goes off the rails. But sorry, firstly, where it does not go off the rails, the soundtrack is fucking great. Third best Disney soundtrack behind Moana and um, Encanto. Easy. There's this song that's like called like What I Know Now or something like that. And it's the like, Shag, are you down for the revolution? Because I'm down, like, let's go. And it's done by this like drumming backbeat that's a lot of tub thumping. And it's like, fuck, Shag, we need the revolution. Like, let's <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but it's just this awfully Disney self-reverential shit that really breaks you out of it. Like the whole thing is when you wish upon a star, like that, uh, the Jiminy Cricket line, I think it is. I think it's, or is it from Cinderella? So it's literally about wishing upon a star. When he's crushing wishes, he's laughing derisively at them. And he's like, "Ugh, you want to be able to fly with some of your friends and never get old uh, and live in a crazy fantasy world? How about never land crushed wish? <laughs> oh, you want a crazy nanny to help with your like badly behaved like children? How about I pop that wish? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, so much for true love. You wait, know, the wait, Ursula wait, line so from Little Mermaid. So is it sort of like the extended? Is it sort of setting up the extended Disney, Disney universe? Yeah, he's like he's, so he references Peter Pan, Mary Poppins, and then the Little Mermaid in a film with literally wishing upon a star, and it just. It's just pretty un- unimpressive. And it's Chris Pine doing Jafar, essentially. He's doing... And and it, despite the fact I cried three times uh, because <laughs> the songs are amazing. Because <laughs> I was there with all my children, confident it's the final Disney film I'll ever see. It's, um yeah, it, like no one else has to see it. But go there, cry heaps of times, listen to what I know now. Uh, and look, it's another tick in the box for musicals as well, I was going to say, Shay, because the best bits were the songs. You know what's wild is... Mm. This experience you've had where it's like hundreds of hours of talking about horror films to the point where you're now desensitized and Mm. excited about watching one is so exciting, right? Like it proves the Spooko experiment can work, but it also kind of makes me want to do the same thing at some point in my life with Huntsman Spiders. I want to get to a (laughs) point where I'm like... Look at all their eight legs. Look at the way they walk really fast towards you. Look at the way that when they fall off walls, they don't sort of fall, they sort of float. Look at the little tap, tap, tapping their tiny little feet make on the walls above you. Look at how, like, you know, when you come home, they're just hanging in the corner of your bathroom or your bedroom. You know, like, I want them Mm. not to be things I fear but to talk about them, to get excited about it, to be excited about them. But anyway. It took me five years. You know, like, here we are. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but what I think is really, what, what really interesting is mm. we've just had two previous episodes where they were stellar horror films. Yes. And we talked about how much fun they were watching them in full and how much fun it was talking about them. And now mm. you've had the experience of 
watching a horror film and just really enjoying it and just soaking it up. Yes. And I guess today, as we always do, I want to take a left turn and say that, look, not all horror films are fun to watch. Yes, Shag, do it to me. Because there is a new-ish genre of... In fact, it's a sub-sub-genre because mm. the sub-genre is found footage. But there's a pretty newish sub-sub-genre of found footage, which I think is really made for the TikTok generation of vibey found footage, where they're almost impossible to watch because they're purely about creating a vibe that for 30 seconds feels like the coolest movie you'll ever see. But for two hours is (laughs) mind-blowingly boring to sit through. (laughs) Right? And it doesn't mean they're bad films. And in fact, the format of Spooko makes them perfect mm. to retell because the stories themselves are great. I, I think the main, the main icon of vibey found footage, the sub-sub-genre of horror, mm. is Skinnamarink. Yes. Right? Like That was what I thought of immediately when you raised the genre. Amazing trailer. Even the trailer's a bit boring. Even like even at two minutes, you're like, oh, I don't... <laughs> like, oh, that, that yeah, went... I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> right? Right? And, mm. and so, like, uh, there's value to them, and I think they're mm. important, and I get why they're made, because they're the sort of thing that end up do going viral. And, in fact, Skinnamarink went viral on social media. The film we're doing today went viral. It's how I found out about it. Everyone was talking about it. There are stories about people watching this film and their Apple Watch saying, your heart rate has gone abnormally high, you need to watch out. There are stories of people vomiting while watching this film. Yes. And uh, look, I watched it on a phone, second screening while I was doing some work in my office and my heart rate didn't go up and I didn't vomit. (laughs) It was pretty easy for me to concentrate on work and follow what was going along Mm. in the film, if that gives you any indication. But still, I think the story is really fucking cool. And it's one of the, it's like, it's perfect spooko photo because I can't wait to tell you this story because I love this story. It's got all the things I love. It's got Lovecraftian themes it's got yes. a unresolved ending, but with enough pieces to make you kind of think you have a handle on what's going on. But when you is that really... shining style? Can yeah. I interrupt? Is that is, like is that the classic version of that? Of like, yeah, I sort of like you leave being like, hmm, yeah, right. In the moment, it makes sense that he's in that photo, but then the yes. more you think about it, the more you're like, wait a minute, hang on, so. <laughs> So, today, Peach... <laughs> Even now, I'm like, no, it makes sense. Hang on, let me just tell it to you one more time. <laughs> so, Sorry, today, Gooey, tell so me. So, today, Peach, we are doing the 2022 mm. American horror film, uh, mm. although I'd like to call it an American vibey found footage horror film... Nice. ...called The Outwaters. The Outwaters? The Outwaters. Yeah, The out. The Outwaters. The Outwaters. The Outwaters. The Outwaters. outwaters. It's upside down, Jack. That's on purpose. It's meant to be. A lot of this film is upside down. Please call me. I'm so worried about you and your brother. I I haven't heard from you guys
911. What are you reporting? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Ma'am? Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. So, like, so I'm open-minded. The, the trailer didn't... Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to learn. Here to listen about the outwaters. I guess this is the thing. And, um, you know, this, this isn't just happening in film. This is happening in music at the moment too, right? Where mm. artists aren't concentrating on albums, really. They're not even really concentrating on a single. They'll often concentrate on what that 30-second part of the song is that will go viral on TikTok. And it's, I guess it's the same for a film like this, where in short amounts, this is a perfect horror film. Like in little grabs, the intense frame of mind it puts you in, I get it. I get why it could raise your heart rate. But for the 110 minutes this film goes for, <laughs> and yeah. keep in mind this film was made for $15,000, which you can tell with every single shot. Well, it makes it a massive success already. Like, already, right? Like on. you know, yeah. Like I, I really like. Here's this is this is the paradox of a film like this and a genre mm. like this. I actually really like this film. I also really like Skinnerink, but the way to enjoy no this film to see him again. Well, the, yeah, well yeah. the way to enjoy this film, Peach, is for me to tell you about the synopsis. <laughs> so I'm in the box seat. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, I'm happy right. about that. Okay, so a couple of things you notice in the trailer. This film was made for fifteen grand, so. They have to use a lot of tricks to keep you engaged to a degree and also ramp up the scares. So it's found footage. So a lot of the time the camera must have been, you know, someone's carrying a camera. And so what you're seeing is an upside down shot, which okay, does I'm that. I'm like, Shag, why do you keep carrying the camera like that? Turn <laughs> on the cord. <laughs> it's like, honestly, it's, it's made for 15 grand. They didn't have enough time for a script that included things like that. Do you ever feel like the heroes of a found footage film are actually the editors? You're like, imagine being like, hey, I found 40 hours of found footage. And the editor's like, yeah, like, awesome. Are you, like, who's, who's going through all this? Oh, totally, totally. I'm, um, I'm at work at the moment shooting, like, a kind of quasi-social reality show for social media. And the mm. worst thing you can do is basically shoot an hour-long talking heads interview with the subjects and then just give it to the editor and be like, can you just find like two minutes of find just the good bits? Yeah. Cool yeah, yeah. Stuff just get here. the good bits out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I agree. The hero of every found footage film yeah. is the editor who pieces together yeah. all of this fucking disparate shit into a cohesive narrative. Imagine that. I'm like, Shag, great news. I've got 40 hours of amazing footage. <laughs> I think if you filmed anything for 40 hours, you could edit it into something pretty interesting <laughs> with a good enough editor. Anyway. But you could also film it into like 80 different things. Like, yes, that's the exactly. power of editing. So you're so right. In fact, I love this. This is, like, when it comes time to our, do our next, like, rules of horror films, I think mm. this is one of them. Like, found found footage of just, have, if we just had three cameras on you today, Shag, just you going about your day, I reckon that's easily a 22-minute episode <laughs> of a show I'd watch the first six episodes <laughs> of and be like, yeah, well, like, what's Shag up to? So, so upside-down camera is one of the techniques they have. Second technique, because mm. it kind of doesn't <laughs> cost anything. That's such a funny technique. It is, it is, but it's weird how oh much they God. use it in this film. And it is weird. Like, you can imagine as well, if you were a patient person 
sitting in a cinema ready to be like, okay, this film will actually, it's found footage, so it'll probably be a bit boring. If you were ready for it and were sitting in a cinema, you could see how it would be disorientating on a large screen. On yes. my phone screen, it was like, oh, did I turn my phone upside down accidentally? <laughs> oh, no, it's intentional. Um, the second technique they use is overuse of very loud and then, well, I guess dynamic sound. So, Like a Trent Reznor album circa 1995. Like the whole thing was Nine Inch Nails from the 90s. Lots of, yeah, and amazing. lots of very industrial sounds because that's cheap, right? Like that's, yeah, okay. that's something you don't have to pay the licensing for. And then finally, a lot of it's shot at night with a tiny little flashlight, which is the most frustrating part of this film. And fuck, I, this is the thing I hated so much. And I get they have budget constraints and they're trying to like hide the scariness of it but often there'll be a really big scary moment on screen and what you're watching is black with a tiny little flashlight circle going over bits of it on a shaky camera yeah okay so you're kind of just annoyed as you're watching it you're kind of like oh what is that if that was something you saw within the first 10 minutes of a film and then you got a really good reveal 70 minutes in it'd be phenomenal but the whole time, it just kind of sucked. So, oh, and then the, fu- in fact, and, and, and mm. lots of blood, lots of like tomato sauce blood, lots of tomato sauce blood. In this. Would Blair Witch Project work if it came out tomorrow? I guess, because I, I feel like a similar criticism could be leveled in that you never see the witch. You do get the, I want to call it a wicker man. You do get the strange doll and you do get the iconic staring at the wall at the end. Oh, I think it would. I, no, don't get me wrong. I think it absolutely mm. would work. I just okay. think even Blair Witch still followed old school filmmaking rules more than these new films do. Yeah, okay. because none they, of it was upside down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, but, but like, like I said, this is a great film in theory. <laughs> On paper, it's a great On film. On paper, yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. film. All right, so... The Outwaters opens with a panicked 911 call along with visuals indicating that the four main characters, Robbie, Angela, Scott, and Michelle, are missing. A title card explains that the subsequent footage was recovered from three memory cards found in the Mojave. Mojave? Mojave, yeah. Mojave Desert. And keep in mind, this is within 30 seconds. I was watching it and I was being like, okay, this is going to be the found footage film that bucks the trend. I am excited. Let's go. (laughs) We then start to see just little grabs of life of the characters. And you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say it's uh, these, like... The start of Hell House LLC. Yeah, I'm with you. Fuck. It was, like, within five minutes, I was like, this is almost unwatchable. Well, this is, this is the editor's job. Like, this is, this, is, this is where a movie made out of your day today could actually be interesting in the hands of the right editor with enough footage. I went to art school a long time ago, and I mm. studied video art. And this was every project I saw. It was just little grabs, <laughs> people talking about some shit, and then cut to something else, and then cut, and then, you know, everything was just a bit shaky and unprecise, and this is, this is all this is. So, oh, God. yeah, you are lucky I'm summarizing it for you is all I can say. <laughs> so, Robbie is This is sp- what Spooko's made for you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's funny to be like... Not just the experiment of Spooko, but what we've developed Spooko into. Mm. This is the right format for a film like this. Now, Shag, we've only got 14 minutes left. 
But it feels like that's heaps of time. That'll be plenty of time. Peaches, plenty of time. (laughs) So Robbie's an aspiring filmmaker living in Los Angeles who has recruited his brother Scott and his friend Angela to help film a music video for his friend Michelle in the Mojave Desert. Now, it kind of doesn't matter that there are more characters than Robbie. It's really about Robbie, okay? Okay. While getting ready for the expedition, he celebrates his brother's birthday, surprises his mother back home with a phone call, parties with Angela, and talks to Michelle about her recently deceased mother. All this is- Party with one person? Yeah, well, because they don't have budget for, like, other people. Like, all this is is the flavour at the start of a found footage film. If I was to party with, so Shag, if you were like, I went on a party with Peach, <laughs> like I don't even, like I don't even know what that would be. Peach, like, you know two exactly people that what that would be. We would put on Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. We would fast forward it to our favorite moment. <laughs> we would have some beers, and it would be like a near perfect night. And when the last third came on, I'd be like, I'm not sure I've even seen the last third. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when you watch the last third of The Dark Knight. Is mm. when the whole thing unravels, and the point of the Dark Knight seems to be like sometimes a totalitarian state is okay if the person leading it agrees to be like, okay, I'll, I'll just be a totalitarian state for a little bit so we can catch the bad guy, and then everyone gets their freedom back. Yeah, exactly. And it's also unwatchable, you know, <laughs> like the blue light computer generated of like, and you're like, this is awful, an awful <laughs> viewing experience. Like, watching this is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like Two Face is the ba- real bad guy, and Christopher Nolan's like, actually, the whole film's about Two Face, and it's like, shut up, no, it's not. <laughs> Two Face wasn't in this movie <laughs> like, for most of it. <laughs> I really like more and more. I'm like, wow, Christopher Nolan is not as good as we thought he was. Should I ever watch The Prestige again? Because in my head, I left it be like, oh my world has changed, but I've got no desire to ever see that movie I think again. The Prestige <laughs> is his one perfect film. And oh, o- really? Yeah, I think. And only because Christian Bale gets to play both Bruce Wayne and a Cockney character who's like, oh, you want to see a trick then, mate? He plays Bruce Wayne and Michael Caine? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. But but the point, like, like fuck all this. The point of this is just the usual mm. flavor at the beginning of every found footage film to be like, everything's mm. normal. This is just normal footage of normal people doing normal stuff. Why would you film that? Anyway, sorry, let's <laughs> not get too sidetracked. <laughs> the four friends pack their equipment and begin. Mm. Oh, oh, and also during the, the footage of this, two separate earthquakes in LA are shown while they're on camera. And it's like, whoa, are you still filming this? There's an earthquake happening. Oh, did you get that? That was a funny earthquake. And well, the ground was rumbling and, and bouncing again, all around. really easy thing to shoot because you just shake the camera. <laughs> you shake the camera. Right? <laughs> Don't have to spend more than 15 grand to get two earthquakes in your film. Oh, the world's turning upside down. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So the four friends pack their equipment and begin their journey, spending the first night at a small lake. They continue deeper into the desert the next day and encounter a pack of donkeys blocking the road. Okay, interesting point about this film. The filmmaker, Mm. in fact, the guy who plays Robbie, whose name is Robbie Banfitch, was Mm. also the writer, director, and producer of this film. And before making this film, he actually worked at Greenpeace for like 10 years. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that he's chosen a location. Like I've now, like I've been to America once. I didn't go to the desert. This particular desert feels 
endless and feels so removed from any sort of civilization. And it's such a fucking lame thing to say, but it definitely feels like the landscape of this film. And again, when you don't have money to oh, spend on cast. it's a character, Shag. Well, say the landscape when you don't have character. money to pay actors, the landscape's the cast. You don't have to pay <laughs> You've got to get as many be. free characters in as you can. <laughs> yes. And the further they go, the more barren and endless the landscape they're in seems to be. So they arrive at their final location, a small hillside area near a dried-up lake bed, and begin setting up camp. I only really know all of this happened because of this synopsis, because a lot of this is shot upside down or, <laughs> or through a tiny little flashlight. At night, the four are awakened by booming sounds, which at first they're like, that's dry thunder, which I don't, like, maybe that's a thing that happens in the desert. Yep. <laughs> but, Never heard of it. But but there's just these booming sounds and frantic animal noises that are these screeches, like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to try and do this. They're like, ee, ee, ee. Yeah, okay. That appear to be, so this, it's getting kind of scary, right? Yes. That, be, that appear to be getting closer to their campsite. Scott and Robbie leave their tent to investigate but find no clues. Robbie continues by himself and sees a strobing light along a hillside path. The next day, oh, also uh, speaking to like video art from the early noughties, strobe lights, strobing lights, easy. Oh, lots of fucking, around. lots of fucking strobe lights in early video art. My God. Anyway, the next day, I liked your video art. Anyway, thank you, Peach. The next day, the crew discuss the uncanny events of the previous evening and begin filming the video. Although they've also, oh, sorry, begin filming because they've been filming video this whole time. Begin oh, filming the, the music video. Music video. Yeah. yeah, yeah. During a break, Robbie and Michelle investigate the area where he saw the light and record those high pitched noises coming from a nearby hole, sensing something unusual beneath the earth. Robbie remarks that his camera battery has not gone down the entire time they've been there. Later, Robbie sees an axe at the top of a nearby hill. You can see how all of these things are unsettling and cool, but none mm. of these things cost any money to do. Yes, just put an axe here, just go, mm, that hole's a little bit intense. <laughs> the crew head to the lake bed to finish filming the video, and the sound is overtaken by noises similar to the ones heard earlier in the hole. At night, the crew once again hear the booms and animal sounds. Robbie wanders off and sees a naked man on a hill wielding the axe. As he runs away, the man attacks Robbie off-screen, giving him a head injury. Robbie returns to camp, bloody and disoriented, and finds Scott asleep, but the women frantic. Yeah, well. Two paragraphs left. Okay. What's different about this film, actually, to other found footage films? And, mm. you know, especially a film like Skin and Marink, where really nothing happens till the final couple of shots, mm. is... The first half of the film is business as usual, <laughs> just fucking shots yes. of people being like, we're on the, the stop film. Wow, the camera's upside down, blah, 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 right? Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The yeah, second yeah, half yeah. of the film is just pure chaos. So the camera cuts to Robbie running through the desert as the two girls scream and plead for their lives. He encounters Scott and Angela both soaked in blood. Robbie escapes and takes shelter in a small ravine until morning. He exits. Like to, like, to me, this is the fundamental issue with the, your found footage of like, mate, put the fucking camera down and come <laughs> he like help. <laughs> like, that's the weird thing for me. Like, none of these people are trained journalists in a war zone, like where 
you've already confronted that ethical question and said, I'm like, my duty here is to record and report these events rather than intervene. None of these people is a journalist of that kind. Sorry, see, the point you raise there is perfect because because they're not photojournalists, what they're capturing mm. kind of sucks and is hard to mm. follow and has been pieced together by the true hero of every found footage, the editor. The editor. And yep. so the second problem is that they're kind like I didn't really know any of this was happening until I then read this and was like, oh, that's what I was seeing. Because the whole thing is about the vibe rather than the clear narrative. But so then if I could just get myself into the mindset of the people filming, yeah. they're like, oh, this is good stuff. I'm going to edit for later. Like, I guess it's like I've got evidence. to capture. So often the- it's like, fuck, I need to capture this. Or they forgot to turn the camera off. Yeah. And like, I guess they make that point where it's like my camera battery hasn't gone down. So maybe it's like they've just never turned it off. Like, I feel like that, you know, a lot of horror films have to solve the what if you had a mobile phone. It's like, oh, no cell reception. I'm like, oh, we've taken your phone. I feel like found footage films have to be like, oh, I've got a disease that means I have to always <laughs> like film or I'll die. But I, I think the other thing is it's like whatever ha- is happening here has kept the cameras on. Cool. Mm. But they found multiple memory cards. Were they changing the memory cards or did the magic make it an endless memory card as well? That's that's a great question. <laughs> and then what happens when you put your endless memory card into your own adapter? Does, like, like, how does that work? Does your computer go, this thing has millions of gigs? You, like, well, I don't know. And then we come back to it and it's like, how do you pitch it to the editor? If you go, editor... There's going to be some gold in these memory cards. You've really got to go through it. Anyway, all right, okay, okay. So he exits this ravine in the morning, naked and disoriented, and starts wandering the desert aimlessly. He finds that the area is now infested with screaming, fleshy, worm-like creatures, which are actually really cool. They're basically these giant tentacly worms that make the screeching sound, and they're pretty scary. That's cool. That night, of like taking responsibility, of like being like, yep, there are these kind of monsters. This is what they are. It, no, it, yeah, it's basically like, look, guys, 15 grand. This is what I could afford. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you like them. It's like those like celebrity, you know, because we're going through a real cost of living crisis here. And the bad guys <laughs> are the supermarkets. So every <laughs> supermarket has a celebrity chef being like, here's what I whipped up for $10 at Woolworth sort of thing. And it's that vibe where the filmmaker being like, look. 15 grand, but this is what I got, and it's actually pretty good. The ethics of that is always like, it can buy you a surprising amount of chicken. Don't think about the ethics. Just, <laughs> eat, or just eat the chicken. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> but, I, but I do think it's relevant as an analogy because it is true. When mm. you're watching this, you're like, honestly, as a horror watcher and someone who understands how these things are made mm. and knows the story behind this being like a really cheap viral hit, being like, oh, he did really well making these worms. Like, that was my thought process watching it. Yeah, nice. While still finding them kind of scary. Finding them pleasantly scary, if that yeah, makes no, sense. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Condescendingly scary. <laughs> Good on them. Good on them. They gave it a real try. So that night, he returns to the campsite to find the two tents covered in viscera and sees what appears to be Michelle's body. After a number of close calls with an unseen assailant, Robbie is transported to a pool of red liquid by the light. He is taken back to the desert, vomits blood, and removes an unknown substance from his foot. It looks like he's peeling the skin off his foot. It's kind of amazing. 
He encounters the pack of donkeys they saw at the start, then sees himself and his three friends walking through the desert from where th- from when they first arrived. He sees a blood-soaked Michelle running across the lake bed and chases after her. He encounters a bloodied Scott and Angela acting normally at the campsite. Exiting the tent, he finds himself at his mother's house and then on the wing of a plane, looking through the window where he sees Scott resting his head. Yeah, like vibey found footage is right. I'm like, okay, like it was all a dream. Like, uh, also, those shots sound amazing when described. Like, <laughs> the 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 looking through the airplane window particularly sucked. And the way you know it's an airplane window is even though you're outside the airplane, you can hear the "We are now cruising at blah blah." blah. Like, you just like hear a very generic attendant over the PA announcement. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. What? Yeah. And so we're just looking through a window into a pl- plane. Yeah, into a plane window, but it's covered in blood as well. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, back in the... Oh, that's di- not the end, sorry. But yeah, I guess yeah, the point the- is it's like he's been taken on some weird sort of time loopy sort of thing. He's basically been sucked up by this entity and taken on this weird like interdimensional time loop. Okay. Back in the desert in total darkness, Robbie runs into a large monster which closely inspects him and appears to be calling to similar creatures in the distance. And this large monster is very much a Cthulhu sort of giant oh, nice. tentacled thing. Yes, you know? and, yes. And I only really know that from watching many recaps of it. Because, again, like, it's very hard to see in the dark. It's very fleshy. It makes sort of loud rumbling sounds. Hang on, I'm just going to send one more text to tell people I'll be late. Um. It sounds a lot like dry thunder, I imagine. Sounds, yeah, well, basically, right? Like, this is where the mm. sounds are coming from. Mm. And it's impressive because I knew, like, because I was waiting for it and I was looking forward to it. But again, I think in the context of watching it, this would be just another what the fuck moment. And when you're basically creating an entire film out of TikTok what the fuck videos, it, it might, it might, it's lost in the whole watching of it. But understanding what's happening makes me appreciate it a lot more. Anyway. He runs away and sees Angela back at camp and the two are attacked by the worms. Robbie is carried by an unseen force that transports him back into the red liquid and the camera is shown rapidly flying through a series of white lights before returning to the desert. This is the coolest scene. And they did it quite well. And again, quite, again, it's another like, oh, you did well sort of scene where it's mm. entirely black, but they've clearly hung all of these little, I guess, white light portals in the space. So as the camera's moving, you're essentially seeing this three-dimensional space filled with all these different portals that he could be escaping down. And there's a moment before this that's not in this Wikipedia synopsis where you just hear a voice say, show them. And he gets sucked up and he and he sees all these moments of like, it's it's actually a really cool moment. And it's a moment where you're like, okay, there's there's some sort of alternate, like, mixed reality multiverse thing going on right here that's really And common. so who do we think is recording the video <laughs> at this stage? Like, like I'm, I'm about three steps behind this plot at the and, moment. And it is amazing that our video cameras can capture portals through time. Yeah, yeah look, that is so true. Like, that's what it is. That's what a portal looks like. Imagine the audio. Like, how do you get the audio of show? That <laughs> and also, like- yeah, because because cameras work on linear time, right? Because you're recording yeah. one second, two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, right? And if time is going, like, how does that, like, would it just record normally? It wouldn't, right? Like, how could it? 
but uh, like I've not been given enough like to understand what like so is there a camera person traveling with Dave did, he's still got the camera on him this is Robbie oh so we're seeing through his point of view yeah Robbie's just Robbie him. just never dropped his camera okay okay uh, so, yep yeah sorry so but, okay yeah Robbie no, has been sorry. transported back to the desert where he finds a gas mask and an old sign indicating that he is in a government restricted area and that people need to stay out because it's dangerous. He encounters his assailant, who appears to be his doppelganger. The next day, Robbie finds the decomposing heads of his three companions impaled on spikes. And there's a really funny moment where they're very brutal and gruesome. And one of them, obviously, is Michelle. And he goes, goodbye, Michelle, as we're looking at this decomposing head on a spike. Oh, so, yeah, because he's holding the camera. I was like, yeah, well. Peace no, out. but he says it's like a really moving way. He's like, goodbye, Michelle. Then he finds the tooth of a large animal on the ground, and this is true, and we see this, and this is the part probably maybe where people ran away vomiting from the cinema. He uses it to sever his penis, and we watch him <laughs> we watch him, we watch him do that and throw a severed penis on the ground. Then he But disembow- he's still holding the camera. How's yeah, he holding yeah, the yeah, camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he disembowels himself and he he all of his guts come out that's when he drops his camera and the film ends with a shot of him walking away from the camera reaching towards the sky without his guts without his well his guts hanging out and the penis is in the foreground of the shot I like I don't have a lot of notes <laughs> <laughs> It just seemed like a sort of tone poem, yeah, vi- like vibey, as you say. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a bit of like, I don't know what, what we're meant to do with that sort of energy. I think the, clever, the cleverness of making this film, though, right, is the criticism is also the compliment, where you go, the criticism is, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. All that was was vibes. And the compliment is like, no, we didn't give you everything. We just gave you the pieces and a really fun filmic experience. Was it that fun for you? <laughs> but the retelling's fun, right? Like it's a pretty, like yeah. it's a fun, it's a cool story, right? Did you enjoy that? Like what did you think? No, I, I was too disoriented. I, I um, like, uh, look, and, and perhaps it betrays the way my brain works to say that, that with found footage, I, I do like to know how the footage got found and who's fucking filming it. And so the, the, the point of using found footage as a method uh, from a filmmaking perspective is it saves a lot of money, I, I expect. But the point of using it from a storytelling method is to make everything feel sort of like the real world and so the little bump in the night that you hear or the spooky exit from Hell House LLC that you watch feels like it's something that's happening in real life. If you use the found footage method to then go to like Lovecraftian otherworldly portals and stuff, I, I'm, I'm sort of, we've sort of loosened the screws on reality and I kind of just don't really know what I'm watching and perhaps I'm a very linear straightforward film watcher and I don't like to feel disoriented but I I, I just sort of lost grip of that one a bit Shag. I, yeah I don't know perhaps I should watch a TikTok that explains it or something I think I just think I just think this would work better on TikTok which 
for some reason, we just don't work that well on TikTok. Follow our TikTok. Have you have you visited TikTok? Yeah, I used to like TikTok. Yeah, look, I haven't visited. I, I, have you used TikTok? This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Yeah, I'm good to go. One, two, three. I've been consuming a lot of iconic media recently, uh, which is to say two pieces of iconic media.